Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Ask Industry Podcast, episode 88. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, the live circuit. But not just any section of the live circuit, specifically the one-liner live circuit. Milton Jones is a one-liner comedian powerhouse. He has a really strong work ethic and has an interesting approach to how he sees himself on stage as a cartoon rather than a comedian or a character act. I really loved getting into his writing process, how he feels about being turned down for TV shows, even at a level of notoriety, fan base and fame that he has, and why he thinks that is. We also got into his religious beliefs and how he thinks that impacts him off stage, but not on stage, and got into the inner workings of someone at the top of his game and at the top of the game of one-liners in general. I think most aspiring comedians can get a lot out of this, so I'm going to shut up and just let Milton talk. But before I do that, a very quick, cheap plug for my tour. Uh, Me and Milton are going on tour soon. That doesn't mean, it's not us going on tour together. We both have separate tours that are happening in tandem, but at different sides of the country. Milton is doing a mammoth 100 tour dates, which is insane. Like, it's an amazing achievement for any performer. And... uh, As a result, he should be in a town somewhere near you. I'm doing a much smaller, but no less respectable, 35 tour dates, although by the time this goes live, hopefully it'll be 40. Milton's Jones show is called Milton Jones is Out There. Mine is called Laughter is the Best Placebo. Both of them have been honed over the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. And this month, I'm coming to Manchester, Bristol, Bath, and a whole host of other dates that you can find on my website so please do go and check that out and if you can come please do milton is in brighton bournemouth liverpool and just check the website i don't want to read you out every list of cities that we're both coming to because that feels a little bit too advertisey for me advertisey a word advertise it just feels too much so if you if you want to come see either of us i'll treat you like an adult you can click the link and there'll be a list of all the dates there if it's not there from my point of view anyway feel free to tweet me where you live and if i can find a a venue and i can find enough people to come and perform to i'll definitely come i don't know how milton operates on his tours i don't think it's quite as diy as that but maybe try it give him a tweet tell him i'm sure if enough people do it he'll do it as well so yeah if you can't make 
my tour please do tell someone who can that would really help out the word of mouth advertising for what is quite frankly a very diy operation that i run here as you can tell everything is pretty diy that i do so thank you very much for that support if you're new here please do hit the subscribe button if you're old here please do consider giving us an honest review on itunes but now without any more delays this is milton jones yeah, I think the reason I started in comedy, because it was, up until that point, it was the only thing I'd shown any kind of talent for. Uh, when I started out years ago, comedy wasn't uh, wasn't the thing it is now. It was a stepping stone to something else, and I thought I wanted to be an actor. Um, and I don't think I was an attention seeker per se, um, but it was, as I say, it was the only thing I'd I'd had any success with. Otherwise... Do you know, when I started doing drama in school in the sixth form, some teachers thought a new boy had joined the school because uh, they hadn't really noticed me before. And I suddenly realised that I was relatively better at this than I was at other things. Um, but it was very unformed and I was gradually creeping towards something I couldn't see. Um, but actually, I don't... I mean, I don't even like... The idea of having a birthday party sometimes because I, I don't actually like being the centre of attention, bizarre as that sounds. There's probably something wrong with me, but um, I, I'm far more comfortable with a quiet nighting as myself. But maybe it's the, the thing of the shy person's revenge on the world is the performing and uh, I can become someone else and then stop it and get on with the rest of my life. So you, do, you, do you see what you do as someone else then? Yes, it wasn't until... You know, I, I did one-liners and stuff uh, similar to what I do now, but I did it as myself. And sometimes it would really work and sometimes it wouldn't. But it wasn't until I stuck my hair up and put on a shirt and thought of it as a character, even though it had the same name. Actually, in a way, it would be better if it didn't have the same name. But it just evolved. Uh, and it suddenly became easier to write for because I thought of it as it and having a world of its own. So uh, it wasn't until that all came together that it began to take off really and it was uh, a cartoon with a the hair and the shirts more jumpers as they were then were a signpost to the world in which he was in so yeah because i heard you say the the dumber the audience the bigger the hair or, yeah. the, or the, the larger the hair yes do you find audiences now know that and maybe get a bit insulted if you do big hair <laughs> yeah i'm not sure uh audiences know that for, but it, it is sort of still true if I'm doing a difficult corporate where they might even know who I am but uh, it's going to be tough I will gain myself 10 seconds at the top by doing big hair mm. so whereas if I'm doing a, a radio recording of something people who come to see something they know roughly what it's going to be like it almost don't need the hair or the shirt you know mm. uh, so uh, I still retain different levels and because I, I do interviews and panel games I reckon Milton has about eight or nine different gears and the full nine or ten is difficult corporate and one or two is talking to you <laughs> and uh you know the other things are somewhere in the middle because even panel games and stuff you've got to interact and apparently banter and that needs to be somewhere in the middle isn't always easy to per persuade tv people that i can be a normal person <laughs> uh I think I'm sometimes perceived as a bit of a one-and-a-half-trick pony. <laughs> and it's quite difficult to get on to other things. Do you find 
So, because when you're on panel shows, you're kind of bringing, a, you're not just bringing a persona, you're bringing a world to that thing. Do you, do you look at it as you're having to drag other people on that panel show into that world, or do you just live in it and they just happen to be nearby? Uh, you mean the other, the the other, other people, people on the people panel on the game? Panel, yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I just do it. Okay. Which means that sometimes they join in, but quite often it's an interlude, and then they carry on with what they were doing with before something like Mock the Week I think the editor quite likes it because um, it goes one two three four five clunk thank you Milton on to the next subject mm. and uh, it's it's sort of I'm not playing the game mm. but apparently that's quite nice if you don't like the game or for a bit of you know difference to what the game is uh, so I approach it the panel game in a different sense from what you know, from my angle and stick to my angle. And part of the joke is that I'm not with the rest of them. Because I've been told by other people who've been on panel shows that it's a lot about team playing on that, where you've got a <laughs> kind of... Really? No, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> no, I just, I just wondered whether you, whether you see yourself as either like a backbencher who's just been given like a, like a, like been pushed forward, sure. or whether you see it as, you know, sort of, I don't know, maybe like you've just, you've just been picked last and put on, and then it's like, you know, I, yes, I mean that in a yeah, nice way. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think you can work both ways, because... Uh, I am sort of clearly I couldn't do it if I was that stupid <laughs> so hopefully for those people who like it it's like not making fun of the show but it, it's kind of uh, giving it an alternative interpretation uh, when my wife first came to see Mark the Week she said oh what a lot of testosterone in that room and I don't think what I naturally do is is testosteroneized it, it's kind of like you either like it or you don't and it's a particular thing but it was a different sort of thing to what was going on and that has stood me in good stead especially because I what I do on that is quite self-contained and it isn't a million miles from what I do when I do my own show mm. so it's been good for me to go no this is what I do and therefore people will come and see that if you were edited out to be like less involved in it, if you like, do you get paid differently than if you're just if you're like the main focus of it? Like, say, say you know, Frankie Boyle got a lot of stage time on yeah. those kind of things. And I was, uh, is is it like, would it be more? Do you, do you get paid per joke, kind of thing? Or is no, it uh, well, not as far as the panel games I've done. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it tends to be a flat fee, and right. you're booked. And if they don't like you, they don't book you again. <laughs> I think it's different for regulars. Right. And although I'm a semi-regular on Mock the Week, I'm not a regular regular. Mm -hmm. So you get a flat fee and that's it. Right. And if they don't like you, they won't book you again. And uh, yes, I suspect different regulars are on different amounts, much like footballers. Yeah. You know, they have different contracts. So, uh, but it's certainly not per joke. Okay. Um, you may find that things spin off it and you get asked to do corporates or... Uh, other TV shows as a result of doing a specific thing but within that panel show the contract will be sorted out before yeah yeah do you find it's e or it has been easier since you've started doing them to get more of them then or do you find like sometimes it puts some shows off because they know yeah. what you do and think well that's going to be hard to edit or that's going to be hard to put yeah, in yeah and that is one of my frustrations at the moment um, that uh, people perceive me doing number seven on Mock the Week, Milton number seven, and therefore 
can't imagine me doing one or two. Interesting. So, uh, you know, which would be more understandable if I'd tried it a few times and it didn't really work, but I, it's quite hard to make that jump. And then I think uh, certain shows have a reputation and they, they don't want people behaving like that on their show. And also, not many people would do, say, have I got news and mock the week. There are a few, yeah. but not many. They tend to keep them quite separate. And uh, that sort of uh, keeps you off certain things, especially if there's someone already on it. Say, Jimmy Carr does one-liners for, uh, on Cats, for instance. Mm. It, it's less likely you're going to have many one-liner people doing that. Um, so there are reasons why you're kept off certain things, I think. Uh, but... Because originally I wanted to be an actor. That was my... I'd sort of quite like to go back to that side of things rather than perpetual panel games or, uh, you know, I like doing stand-up and things, but uh, it'd be quite nice to try and get back to that comic acting thing. Uh, but that's been one of my frustrations lately, to try and get my own thing away on telly. And I've had several pilots that just haven't made it eventually. You know, mm. they let you down over a period of months. And by the end, you've moved on to something else, so it doesn't hurt so much. But... I still haven't quite cracked that, and I'd like to at least have a go at it. Because you, you did House of Rooms, yeah, which I, I've seen. I really love the style of it. Like it's it's so stimulating, mm. stimulatingly visual, in a way that I feel mm. like your stand-up is, if that makes sense. Because you because a lot of your jokes are visual, mm. and so I felt yeah, like you'd yeah. really really embraced that on there. Yeah, well, so, so did I. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but everyone. Uh, <laughs> Well, a lot of people... Do you know, I still get one or two people a week asking me that. And we did that in 2011. Mm. And uh, it was just one pilot. And we, it went out, I think, twice, maybe. And uh, But apparently, the head of Channel 4 didn't like it. So that was the end of that. Did you not, like, take it to another channel? Could, like, uh, I tried to, but it was very much... Uh, you know, that was what you did for Channel 4. Okay. It was quite hard. To we got on then at the BBC. When Shane Allen went to the BBC, we, mm. we went and tried to do something. And recently, well, a year ago, that got turned down. So, start again. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, I was really proud of House of Rooms. I, I mm. thought, you know, well, personally, you have the frustration of going, I know it's not perfect, but there's something in this and it'd be great to develop it. I mean, you know, it's their money, their time. But... And then you think, you see what else goes on. You go, well, hang on a minute. What? Are we living on different planets? Is that... Anyway, there is all a layer of politics and sometimes what you get told isn't the whole truth and who knows what Machiavellian subterfuge went on underneath. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no point living in the past to draw a line and move on and try and create something funny. But it doesn't always feel uh, very secure. What it feels like often, I was trying to think of an analogy... And it feels like um, often you're trying to get into a nightclub and you, <laughs> you, you go and they say, no, you can't come in dressed like that. You go, what? Can you put on this silly hat and these stupid shoes? So you do that and then you say, well, can I come in now? And they go, no. <laughs> yeah. But I just, what? Ah. So often you're asked to make changes and, and stuff to the things you do and you make those little compromises. You think you pick your battles. But then they still turn you down. They think, mm. hang on a minute, I did all the, I jumped through all the hoops you asked, and now I just feel ridiculous. Mm. So it is, it is quite annoying. But what can you do? You know, it, I think it's easy to forget that it is their time and money. So, I mean, you, you're, I mean, I don't know how you perceive your level of fame, but you're quite well known, 
and you have quite a, a at least a dedicated following that means you can tour yeah would you ever do a crowdfunding thing to raise the money to go to a production company and put it online yourself uh, I've thought about it and I'm not at that point yet because there's always been someone saying no come over here and we'll see if we can develop something um, who knows in time uh, I'm more inclined to look at uh, quite cheap YouTube type mm. do-it-yourself things and get a really good idea that way um, rather than raising lots of money for something so I think often with tele companies they, they want to have invested something themselves so it's harder to sell them something that's completely independent right so uh, that you know they want to be part of it mm. and and add something some add more than others but uh, I think there's a reticence to not you know that they won't take a risk necessarily on something they haven't been part of and I've known other people do their own thing and it'd be really hard to get away so I'm looking into cheap stuff at the moment. <laughs> but it's like a, do you think it's like an ego thing then for the commissioning end? Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose they've got careers as well and they mm. want to have things on their CV. And how much is it on your CV if you just buy something that already exists? You know, it's like being a chef and buying a ready meal. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a great credit to you, even if it is successful. So uh, I can sort of, but to be honest I'm I, I hate meetings and all that politics I just haven't you know it's like the nightclub thing and the, uh, I just find my mind drifting off and you know we've all got to say how excited we are to be involved with each other and just uh, just is this funny or not okay you don't find it funny I'll go somewhere else but please don't string me along for six months and uh, waste my time I'd much rather that's why stand-up is so great because audience mm. you speaking they laugh they don't that's the end of it mm. Never mind all the sort of filters and focus groups and all the things that you've got, all those hurdles. I mean, it's probably a, a cliche now, but, you know, uh, someone was saying that when they first were looking at comedy and television and they saw something bad on television, they thought, how did that get on TV? But now when they see something good on television, they think, how did that get on TV? Mm. Because they know all the hoops and the the prejudice there is against new ideas because they, they've never seen them before. Yeah. And it always wants to be so, like something else that is successful. You know. well, well, something I've noticed in, in TV is that a lot of channels want to sort of find the new face of something. Mm. And so they want to find a young, usually a young face yeah, yeah. on it. And 99% yeah. of the time, I feel that's never as good as the person who's been going 15, yeah, yeah, 20 years just naturally even if even mm. if you know th they've not had the best decade to get you know to where they yeah. were they're still going to be better than the person going three four years um, yeah do you ever find that's kind of something that maybe gets in the way of of you that you've been around long enough that they kind of know you so why would they? yeah i mean there, there is definitely that um everyone wants to discover the new face and the new thing and uh that was one of the things we had with house of rooms is suddenly hitting a, a new level of what well, on the casting front say well can we have this bloke because he's really funny and someone say no he's a BBC One face you go what well, I've only just heard of him what do you mean he's a BBC yeah. One face no one who watches telly cares where, whether someone is a BBC One face or a Channel 4 face or whatever it is can we just have the funny guy saying things and there's a whole level of um, perception amongst TV executives about what's needed when actually comedians and people involved in comedy get better and better and better if mm. they're working 
and someone who has no experience or very little inevitably won't be very good or you'll be very lucky to find someone who's naturally good from the off mm. and uh, they might look younger and you might want a, a presenter but that's a different job mm. presenters different you know I mean it has its own skill but it's about the way you look not how funny you are and what you're saying and uh, yeah I mean, it, I mean there are too many people trying to get through too small a door mm. and uh, but I, you know I think you've got to you've got to be sanguine about it in that uh, uh, things need to be balanced out in terms of gender and race and all, all that stuff and that's sort of okay I mean a lot of mad decisions but that you know it's been enough my favor as a white middle-aged male for a long time so you know yeah fair enough uh but i just want the chance really and if there's a gap in the door i'll be that was you see that was one thing because I, I was a club comic for 20 odd years mm. and then eventually uh i had a really good year of uh i recorded a dvd that went on dave i did about five mock the weeks so i did michael mcintyre's roadshow all in the same at the same time mm. Uh, and that sort of pushed me over the edge but because I'd spent 20 years writing jokes when uh, I saw a producer after that and said have you got any other ideas I go, yeah I have I've got 20 <laughs> years of ideas actually yeah. I didn't say that but it was like finally yeah and in a way I think I have to keep sowing that seed now and not mm. sort of relax and go well I'm here and come come and get me I have to I have to keep keep sowing those seeds and writing those things and have those ideas so that when the door comes ajar slightly mm. then I'm straight in there mm. you know and it may or may not work but uh, you know it's not it's not because I haven't thought of something mm. and it, you know the, the inevitably some some of it will be outside your control because uh, even if you write, write a really good script and get it all very well produced if it's not on at the right time yeah totally and people don't buy into it for whatever, you know, it was a full moon or whatever the reason is, um, that's tough. Yeah. And, you, you know, you've just got to be surf, try to surf enough waves so that when the big one comes, that you're ready. Mm. And just be funny for the next gig. Be funny, be funny, be funny. Mm. And uh, make sure you're enjoying it because the big one may never come. Yeah, of course. So, you know, you've got to be a bit philosophical about it as well. Yes. I think so. And maybe the wave that you're not expecting to be big is the big one. You yeah. Know. Might not even be your favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I find... So this is something I was going to ask you about when you said uh, sort of things playing to different people's favour just, just out of um, necessity of variety on the circuit. I mean, you do quite a distinct form of one-liners. And I wondered whether... I mean, obviously there's sort of, and it's not the same thing at all, and I'm not saying it is, but there's that sort of movement and there's a lot of pressure on promoters to sort of have uh, a diverse lineup and not just have five white men on it, for example. Yeah, yeah. I wondered if when you started out, whether it helped to be doing one-liners in an in a environment where that maybe wasn't as, and it's still not that oversaturated at the moment. I feel yeah. like there are, there are only a few that have made it to a, yeah. to a high level. Yes, yes. Well, promoters want to know what you do, mm. and it helps to be that guy whatever that guy is you know the guy who does uh thing and uh, you know it's a maybe it's branding but the hair in the shirt were, were like oh you know the guy with the hair in the shirt mm. and that sort of helped me and uh yes i think uh doing one liners is very double-edged in that especially when you do telly or even a short slot in a club 
bang, joke, bang, joke. Mm. 15 minutes in, then you feel a bit of a lull. And uh, anything over that, you've got to somehow vary the angle of attack. Mm. And why, that's why doing a longer show is more of a challenge. There are other comics who have to work differently about stories, but they essentially they've got three or four ideas in a show. Mm. Whereas ours, one-liners are so boiled down mm. that you've got to have 200 to 250 ideas in a show. Yeah. I mean, don't have to be very sustaining, but um, you, you have to weigh up to it. So, uh, yeah, one-liners have served me well. I think, I, and I've said before, you know, that I think I got into it because I was so scared that people weren't laughing and tried to get to the joke as quickly as possible. And when you do that a lot, you mm. end up with one-liners. So. You know, I, when I started, I did one-liners for the exact same reason. Mm. And I did it deadpan just so that I kind of wasn't me and I kind of got to uh, put up this defence yeah. that even if they didn't laugh at the defence joke, yeah, yeah. I still had an extra level of defence to sure. go, it's not even me, they're not laughing, yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. fine. Yes, I'm still at that point. Are you really? <laughs> well... <laughs> There are different degrees, but I, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. But how, how, much, how much would you say, how long does it take you to turn on stage Milton then? Like, how, how much different would you say you are to him? Uh, as I say, it depends on the gig. depends okay. how, you know, how high the hair has to go. But I mean, it's literally <laughs> a, a switch. I mean, uh, the three steps to the microphone, it's on. Okay. And uh, I, think, I think, too, with one-liners... Everyone who's successful at doing it has a way of of misdirecting you away from the words. Mm. So for me, it's the hair and the... Uh, uh, for Tim Vine, it's the showmanship. Da, 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 da. For Gary Delaney, it's, it's like, here are some jokes. You mm. might like them, you might not. But these are jokes. Yeah. Uh, and Jimmy is a bit sort of between me and Gary actually he mm. he was more weird I think he's, a, he's because he presents and stuff now everyone knows who he is so he doesn't have to do that but um, I think everyone has an angle just to you know because otherwise I remember once in this very room this is um, in Twickenham this Bearcat Club mm. place um, I was announced before I was ready and I came on and it was just me without any and I said the words, but whether it wasn't my confidence or, or whatever, wherever it was, it, you could see the audience <coughs> thinking or feeling. They were reading the words rather than entering into the world mm. and going, these are just puns, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, there is that misdirection there if you, mm. if you go for the whole world thing. Mm. And uh, people agree to sort of suspend their disbelief. So, uh, yes, I think... Uh, but we, but, but all of us who, who do it, all sort of trying to break out of it as well, trying to find things. You know, if Tim finds pen behind the ear or whatever it mm. is, you know, that's you know a r really nice routine that is not a one-liner, mm. but it's in his style. Yeah. And those are the the gold things that we're all looking for. You know, that we we've all done a thousand one-liners. Yeah. But if we can find something within our style that that uh, is different that's really valuable it, it, it almost that particular thing it almost broke away and became its own thing because yeah. everyone could try and do it and everyone yeah, could, yeah. and that's I feel like that's kind of um, a meme that you want 
as a performer because then people remember who you are yeah. in a way and I think getting people to remember your name is a really hard part in this industry as well because yeah. they might go away and the ne- you know, next day go oh I remember that so, yeah the second comedian they were really yeah, good yeah. but they just don't know who you are yes yeah, so I remember the, when I first did telly stuff a lot of 2010 the times I heard blah blah that comedian blah blah that comedian yeah. as I walked past people yeah. you know it wasn't a name or anything it was that bloke mm. and uh, yeah was it sort of difficult um, but yeah I mean you just have to meet someone with a proper job occasionally you go ah yeah so uh, this is a this is a good job to have if you're going to have a job definitely definitely how do you because it sounded like when you went up and weren't the character you were just you you had anxiety about how they were perceiving mm. you you, you, I've met you a few times and every time you've, you seem very calm and quite quite centred and it might just be your mannerisms and how you talk but would you say that like when you were learning to mm. be that Milton if you yeah. like were, were you were, was your mental health okay were you, were you <laughs> dealing with anxiety were, you know yeah, what I mean because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. trying to because you're trying to discover a side of you that you didn't even know was or you're trying to invent yes. a side of you I mean, I think initially I was nervous and pensive, very pensive. Mm. So instead of saying, calm down, calm down, mm. I exaggerated it mm. as a way of coping with it. Okay. And that sort of stuck. And then after a while, the, the fear calmed down, but I still had this shell mm. of pensiveness that was the character. And... Uh, that was quite nice to be able to slip into, especially if from a sort of drama training. Mm. You were playing a character. But I think probably the calmness comes from 25 years of doing it. Just going, <laughs> it's like when I, when I do a telly thing and I think it's brilliant and eventually I watch it and it looks all right. But then when I do a thing, when I, a recording and I think it's terrible, mm. when I watch it, it looks all right Mm. and there's something you know you feel different inside often to how it looks and you just take an average across all those shows and go is it going the right direction yeah and don't just it's like when you start out you're always as good as the last gig you did but you want to take an average really over the last two years Mm. to make you know any sense and I think you just get fed up with being nervous and caring too much about the last gig and uh, that's where the the confidence comes from I would think I don't know I think I'm quite I don't know what, what it is I'm not particularly I'm not an extrovert mm. and that I remember seeing Mitch Hedberg interviewed mm. he said I'm not a storyteller I'm just not a storyteller I thought yeah I know what he means I'm not one of those guys in the pub you know that a raconteur I'm just mm. not that kind of person so once you realise who you are, I remember Kim Kinney at the Comedy Store years ago used to run the, when after after a show. He said that was really good, but who are you? Who are you? And at the time, I didn't really understand what he meant, but he you know he meant who is that persona on stage? Mm. You know, and what are the rules? What are the rules of that character? Yeah, totally. And uh, eventually, you kind of organically find it. I think. Uh, but it, it comes from hours on stage. Yeah. And there's no way around that. <laughs> you can talk wherever to whoever about your inner clown, mm. but it's actually doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. It's the only way to do it. 
How do you, so you presumably could put on a work in progress and get a decent number of people in there that know what you do, Yeah. that you could try stuff out. Mm. But how, and I'm not saying, I don't want to use the word sycophant or anything like that, but you must know that they trust you enough that mm. they might give you a bit of leeway on some jokes. Yeah, yeah. So how do you get decent feedback now? Well, yes, it's interesting. I, I was talking to someone recently and I was saying, I think it's really hard to get better once you leave the circuit. You, you write more stuff, you have to. But it's hard to get a higher standard. And I think a, a lot of people, you know, when they graduate to television or whatever it is, stay at about the same level, if not dip. And there's something about the, the competition and the, the gladiatorial nature of being an unknown club comic that makes you better, 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 because you've got to win. And yes, you, the audience that comes to see you is very pleasant for you. But uh, if you suddenly chuck in a weekend at the comedy store, you suddenly realise that a lot of that tour material is not really okay to do on a Saturday night. Now, some of that's because it's longer and more conceptual, but some of it's because it's not up to standard, frankly. Mm. And you can get away with it on tour. Mm because people are there to listen and they're in theatre seats and they won't be wandering around. But when you, if you've got to come with your A-game, uh, it's a slightly different load of material that you'll do. Um, but on the other hand, it's great. I mean, uh, that's what we were working for, isn't it? To get to the point where people came to see us. And um, it's great to... You know, people say hello to me and they introduce themselves. Once a week, I meet someone whose day is made, you know, because they laugh with their dad at me late at night or whatever it is. And, and that's great. And that's, you know, there's, that's the sort of reward that hopefully I was aiming at. So um, <coughs> I'm not complaining in that sense, but it is, it, it is a, a dangerous place and uh, I was saying to you earlier about um, my having a director mm. for a show and having one or two friends come in and go meh there are about five people I trust to say to me I think you can do better than that and they're not reviewers <laughs> uh, they're people who sort of seen what I've done before where I'm going and you know the and on the other hand, you, d you don't want to be in a show where you always hate this five minutes. Mm. You know, you want a show that you look forward to entirely. Mm. Um, so it pays to have a team, mm. even though it's a sort of lonely one-man job. Um, I think the way of keeping the standard up is to let people tell you the truth about it. Yeah. And also, I, I imagine having someone come in from the outside will be, be able to help you... Uh, gauge the level of originality in a one-liner mm. because there's only a certain number of ways even with the surreal world you bring to mm. it that you can twist a w twist a phrase yeah yeah do you ever yes. do you ever find that you're sort of like questioning whether oh is this is this something i've heard or is this something i've organically forgotten about and then re you know what i mean like yes the yeah the the we've all been in the position of something that came to me a little bit too easily that <laughs> idea and either I've used it before or someone else has used it before 
and quite often I phone Adam Bloom. <laughs> I love Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Who probably will know if someone else has done it. Yeah. And uh, or if it's familiar, and then one or two other people as well. I try, and you know, sometimes it does turn out to be similar to something someone's done, and then you've got to work out whether you came up with it independently or not. So, but I, I quite often if it it's similar to something, I lose heart in it and go, ah, oh, yeah. You know, I prefer to do something else. Um, because the, the thing is, people come to see you for what they've seen before, but they don't want to see what they've seen before. I see what you mean, yeah. You know, they they might want to see the odd joke that you do again, but they don't want the same show. They like the, they like the comfort of the consistency of knowing what they're buying. Yeah, exactly. Which artistically is a bit of a struggle because you you might get fed up with one-liners <laughs> and want to move on. And uh, so you've got to take your audience with you slowly, you know, no one wants to hear the new stuff that the band are doing. Mm. They want the, the the old stuff, but it's sort of the other way around with comics. Mm. Um, and that's the struggle to to come up with something that interests your crowd and you mm. at the same time, but is totally identifiable within what you've done already. Who who puts more limitations on the onstage Milton than you or your audience? Uh, I, well, I'm in the driving seat with that. I mean, the show I'm doing at the moment, or trying to do, <laughs> will we'll get round to doing, is uh, it's messing with the idea, well, I'll give the premise away now, that I had a heckle once. It, this will be out in September when you're doing your tour. Okay, so right. So it would, it would, yes. Would, yeah. The show I'm doing at the moment, <laughs> um, one of the, the parts of it is once, literally, is true, I had a heckle. Someone stood up and said, these are just words right right and at the time i was just totally accurate (laughs) um there's no way you know it wasn't even worth fighting over (laughs) it was kind of just made me laugh yeah um but within the show uh, i use it as a you know with all the trouble that's going on in the world i'm just talking nonsense is that of any help Mm. and uh going through you know, well, what could I do about it? Maybe I should stand for Parliament. What would that be like? Trying to say something profound. But, it, you know, 200 jokes later, the conclusion is sort of that nonsense is of value in and of itself. Mm. Uh, said in a Milton-y way. <laughs> and uh, I think that's sort of what I'm about, is I'm not a preacher. Mm. You know, I haven't got... Uh, an agenda Mm. my agenda if it works is to just try and bring mischief and joy Mm. by any means and that'll come in the the form of lots of small parcels which you may or may not like Mm. Um, and you know who does actually know what should happen in the world anyway and can we not just have a good time I've sort of tried to have my cake and eat it a little bit yeah. in the doing doing the one-liners and plenty of them, but also trying to uh, provide a sort of story arc and and a sort of point to say that is this you know was that guy right? No, I don't think he was in a way. If that's what he was saying, you know that this nonsense has no value. These are just words, but 
what we're doing has more value than just some kind of cerebral oh, I see what you did there is it so like you know I've had this where like someone's heckled me and I've, and I've come back at them but I know it wasn't as good as I could have done yeah and on the two year drive home yeah for oh I know how I'll come back oh yeah oh yeah. you wait till I come yeah. back to Manchester I've got you yes, I've, yes. it's just like your extreme version of that like you're, yeah, you've, sort you've of. been building towards yeah, a comeback yeah. <laughs> yes and if I ever find him yeah. <laughs> he's getting get, a comp ticket yeah exactly <laughs> Yes, I suppose it is, and I know exactly what you mean. Um, but I, I quite often work out in that situation what I would have said, and it happens again about three years later. Mm. And in your Rolodex of comebacks, then mm. you're able to look like a genius, but actually it's because it's happened before. Mm. And uh, It was more than one person said that then? No, uh, well, actually, one person said that. Another person said, what is this? <laughs> Which again was so like. It's an actual question. It's not a heckle, that's an actual question. It is. Yeah. And you think, well, how far back should I go? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> how far into the show was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was about halfway through and he was like, it's like dismay. What is this? Mm. And again, just made me laugh at the time, but it was such an ex- existential question mm. that that's probably another show. Because you're one-liners are so well thought out and so mm. written to the to the letter to the syllable that if you are interrupted like that how do you find staying in character and controlling an audience mm. and keeping them on side do, do you do you i mean obviously you've got really good yeah. at it over the years but like i was looking on youtube and like people like jimmy carr have got you know people have put together clips of yeah. comedian slams yeah, yeah, yeah and you don't have that <laughs> like no there's no, 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 no there's no i mean look at milton slamming this <laughs> i quite enjoy dealing with hecklers in that uh, D- don't come and do it though like you're not encouraging <laughs> yeah you know, I'm not coming and do it no I tend not to get them on tour um, but I engage them in conversation mm. we talk about what was behind <laughs> what they were saying and like a it, therapy session it is literally <laughs> yeah and it's sort of not what people are expecting because I'm not afraid of it. And if it shows 73, mm. I kind of know how that works. And the interesting thing to me is talking to them about what they've just shouted. Mm. And uh, they've spent 10 minutes trying to think of this thing. And now it's even because mm. we're just talking. And uh, they usually lose. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's, you know, I prefer to use. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's someone's own weight against them mm. rather than slam them. It's always awkward, isn't it, when you see a young comic heckled and they slam someone. Mm. Perhaps the heckle wasn't really that nasty. Yeah. And they... But I just think it's interesting just to go, yeah, and just talk to the person. And, and if they're still stupid, then, you know, we've all got a number of bullets in our gun that we can fire. Mm. But uh, you don't want to go straight to the gun. No, I don't think so. I think it's far more interesting to slap them around the face a bit first. <laughs> if you say you had a heckler and you spent maybe five, six minutes talking to them about what it is that really yeah. you know, hurts them inside, that means they want to do that. Do you have to think, right, I can't do the next 18 jokes because that's six minutes and I need to be off by... <laughs> like, how do you deal with yeah. re-jigging the show on the fly? I suppose with one-liners, it's a little yeah. easier. Yes, it is very easy to lose track of time, for sure. Mm. Um, especially if you're used to doing longer shows. Um, but I think I've probably got quite a good sense of how long things go on. Um, the, often what happens, though... It, when you do something really spontaneous and especially if it works really well it's really hard then to go back into mm. the prepared yeah. because it sounds quite wooden mm. by comparison uh, but you know it's better to have the live stuff because you can guarantee that when people walk away they go it was funny when he talked to that bloke wasn't mm. it never mind the months of agony <laughs> that you've done on the writing of the rest of it it was funny when he called my friend an idiot yeah great uh, but yeah that, those are the moments that you that you know not you live for but you the, the, you suddenly think yeah I am a comedian mm. because I did that yeah no, you know you're a writer and you're an actor but when you actually make something out of nothing you're a comedian yeah mm. do, you, do you ever feel like you need to because I, I find sometimes people get that sort of imposter syndrome of I'm going to get found out sort of moment do you ever do you ever get that and, and then like when that happens feel no I am a comedian I yeah, am, I yeah. Am this. Uh, yeah sure sure um, quite often when I'm in a situation a TV situation or a, one I'm not used to dealing with um, you know you you have to do all sorts of little PR bits and pieces talk about your garden or whatever it is and they go what how did this happen this is what mm. i signed up for um so yes and and also in a corporate way you, you're asked to put on the t-shirt of a company or something yeah no i don't want to do that yeah, yeah. or you know the, you sometimes get put into awkward situations and you're not quite sure how much they're paying for really but by and large, I think I, I just I wipe the slate clean when I go home and mm. try not to think about it. And um, if there's a, if there's a big big issue I need to sort out for next time, if it happens again, then then I make sure I sort that out in my head. But mm. and quite often a bad night follows a good night. Yeah. And you think I've cracked this, and you walk on with super confidence, yeah. and oh oh. 
But is, but is that, because I always ask whether that's because you've set your expectation high yeah. because of the night before or whether it actually was a bad night. Right, yes. Well, it could be both, of course. Yeah. And yes, and, and conversely, you have a really bad night and you, you go in with all guns blazing and you tear the roof off and sometimes. Yeah. Um, but again, you have to take the average over the, the, all of them, don't you? Because people forget the good nights as well as the bad nights. Mm. Um, the audience as well, so um, yeah, leave it at the door. Are there any opportunities that you you've taken in your career that you, if you could go back, would not have taken now? Hmm. There are no big junctions I took the wrong turning to. I don't think. I mean, the little jobs that you turned out to be a bit embarrassing, but you weren't you didn't have the information at the time mm. so you can't really i think that's cheating isn't it to go back and say i wish i hadn't done that because the decision was genuine so no not really no I'm, I, and i think sometimes even if you make the wrong decision the good things come out of it no i've been i've been lucky with edinburgh i was um lucky to get david tyler a radio producer who's done all my radio stuff who's really good and it's one of the five people who can tell me that's not good enough uh, eventually I was lucky with Mock the Week and you know, I don't really believe in luck anyway I sort of have a more um, spiritual view of life but um, there's been nothing that I've gone what did I do that for that was a big mistake mm. I mean I've been offered stuff that I'm glad I've turned down <laughs> in retrospect some adverts <coughs> and things and you know PR opportunities mm. Who knows, you know, I may look back and think, I wish I'd done otherwise. Uh, you know, there's certainly decisions like the House of Rooms thing, I wish had gone the other way. But yeah. that was out of my hands, that wasn't a choice. You, you mentioned you've got a spirit, because you'd identify as a Christian, right? Yeah. And how, because how, you don't talk about that on stage, really. Yeah. I mean, you do some jokes about different religions yeah. and, and one-liners, but again, it's more about the wordplay than the sure. religion itself. Do you find that that impacts your... Because I know you do charity work as well and mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, although there are communities who, who don't have that mm -hmm. as well. I mean, yeah. do you, do you, how do you find it impacts you as a, as a person and then on stage as a result? Mm. Um, if at all. Yes, it's difficult to give an a empirical answer to that because I am me and I can't see outside me, so I'm not quite sure what the alternative would be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my faith informs everything I am I think it's not a case of here is my faith department in my life it's sort of it is the foundation and uh, you know labels are sort of unhelpful I think because people mean different things by them in terms of Christianity and born again and and uh, evangelical you know you can there are all sorts of things that people bristle because of the assumptions attached to them uh, but I just, uh, I just think um, God is real, and the that Jesus and what He came to do uh, is the answer for the world. And occasionally, I glimpse it in something someone does or says. I go, "Yeah, that's it," and then the clouds go over again. But that is my driving force, mm. and uh, I feel something within me that's pushing me forward and has a warmth that I can't explain. Now, the the loads of questions that are not black or white they're very gray and uh, I struggle with those as much as anyone but I do think it's helpful with comedy because it's so easy to become 
that comedy becomes your whole life mm. and if not time wise thinking wise become intoxicated and slightly obsessed you know I mean can anyone be successful at anything without being a bit obsessed with that mm. probably not and it, I've worked hard and I think about it a lot but I like to think it is not my identity interesting now I have a persona and I can sort of that that's easier for me to leave at the door yeah but even so I hope that I can walk away from it if necessary so when you become Milton on stage Milton on stage I assume doesn't have a religion or no no he's okay. a cartoon character really. okay yeah yeah, yeah. Um, he could talk about religion he might be able to make the odd point about it but um, I mean one of the, the problems with doing gags is you're constantly pulling the carpet from under each individual concept mm. so it's actually really easy to pull things down but as soon as you start to build things up people go what this is something else what's mm. going on um, and then there's the whole thing about preaching in comedy you know um, the people who preach in comedy tend to be preaching to the converted, mm -hmm. you know, politically or whatever. Definitely. And, and also, you know, if the Simpsons do an episode on, say, no to drugs or anything, there would be lots of gags in the Simpsons that would be fine, but other, or EastEnders or something, whatever it is, and they do, you feel like you're being preached at, mm. subliminally, if nothing else. And you go, well, this isn't, this isn't as entertaining, you know. I'd just much rather go for the, the laughs hmm. and the entertainment. And that's not, from my point of view, I'm not saying people shouldn't or can't. Uh, I just prefer it when it's, it's just silly, it's just daft, and it, it's not got a hidden agenda to teach us all something. Um, but, you know, there are great people, you know, Mark Steele, Jeremy Hardy, Mark Thomas, they all do a great job of making people think about other things but I, I would argue that's not actually clowning that's uh, maybe it's being a comedian it's, it's make a satirist more yeah you know whereas I'm not doing satire at all that's the Venn diagram has shifted completely the rings of the Venn diagram are in different departments do you find because like newspapers often uh, especially with a PC culture that's kind of yeah. been cult and a, a thought police culture that's been cultivated they'll sometimes take especially one-liners because they're very easy to just quote yeah. and, and take them out of the context of the gig mm. and put them in an article and go look how many rape jokes there are look yeah, how many yeah, anti-Muslim yeah, yeah. jokes or whatever it would be do you ever find that's especially mm. for someone like you who mm. clearly none of them are about an agenda they're yeah. all about the wordplay yes you know you could argue it sometimes with someone like frankie boyle or, or yeah. jimmy carr that there's there's not a, there's not a, a deep meaning behind it but there's yeah. there's more there's more aggression behind them than yours do mm. you ever find that's annoying or even impactful on you and you maybe get like yeah. twitter hate or something sure sure um i think there's several things journalists are notoriously lazy <laughs> and uh well nothing shows it more than um edinburgh and the hundred funniest jokes in edinburgh and you go hang on a minute some of these weren't even in edinburgh this year you've just copied this from something else um and also context is everything you know if you, it's easy to take something out of a frankie ball show and say you know um this is what he meant by it but actually he was being ironic or you know possibly quite not uh, with frankie but uh 
yeah, journalists often start with the quote and invent something around it, I think, rather than start with the whole tombra of the show. Um, personally, most of mine, it probably happens most with tweets with me in that, you know, what Twitter's like, people will take an individual word and and I, I put something out recently about um, just before the election about um, I'm stuck in a lift with Jeremy Corbyn and Diane Abbott uh, she doesn't know what number floor he won't press the button just exploded because <laughs> at that point Diane Abbott has been found to be ill as well only mm -hmm. after I'd done the tweet mm -hmm. but you can imagine the Fourteen thousand likes later, and a lot of dislikes. If they, you know, so I just I just let it go. And and sometimes you say the the, uh, the gag about uh, tricky, isn't it? If you're in a mosque and everyone's praying and you really enjoy leapfrog, yeah. right? I've had that for years and years and years. Um, but I remember doing it at one or two country places and. People go, yeah, tell them, tell them. Go, Whoa, no, no, this is, you know. Trouble with words on paper is people can add their own interpretation to mm. them and sort of put words in your mouth or a tone in your mouth mm. that wasn't there. And that's, that's annoying, but I don't think it's my responsibility because mm. otherwise you'd never say anything. How do you, how do you dis decipher what's funny written down and what's funny said out loud? Because uh, some things just aren't out loud, but the way yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things, some tweets are funny. Yeah, but if you write some gags, you will see the punchline before you read the whole gag, mm -hmm. and that's the end of it. Um, and trial and error, and uh, I think after a while you get you get a better instinct for it, the writing of it, and you think, well, that will work as a tweet, but not as a a gag, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, it always being taken out of context. Very annoying, very annoying. And the other thing, bugbear about, is when people write reviews, I've had reviews that have had about eight jokes in them, <laughs> copied verbatim, except they're not, because they quite often get one syllable or a word wrong. I've spent quite a long time trying to get it exactly right, and they've just quoted me. Not only have they given away some of the best jokes in the show, but they've given them away wrong. They haven't even bothered to, you know... Anyway, yeah. Uh, there we go. Um, yeah, uh, you won uh, the Newcomer Award. Yes. A few years ago. A few years ago, in the turn of the Renaissance. <laughs> yes, a long just, time ago. Just as were big back then. Yes. And you were saying, first of all, the circuit was different then. Yep. But also... Uh, I've, I've spoken to a few TV people that when they were up there 20 odd years ago and looking for the next funny thing yep. to put on TV a lot of acts were able to translate to TV mm. in a way that some of the winners now don't because they're, yeah. just, not, they're just not made for that or the, or the character or yeah. the way it is then do you, do you find that it helped you get on those sort of things or how, how did you make your career different? Uh, winning the newcomer in 96 I think it was uh, was probably the best thing about it was a boost for my own confidence. I was sort of on the edge of giving up or wondering what on earth I was going to do. 
but just having someone else say no what you're doing is good carry on was like a major confidence boost um it got me more work it got me a radio series indirectly or being up in edinburgh that year which was probably the best thing about it uh not everyone see i think not that many people from that era translated to tv very well they were given opportunities you know but maybe only um what's the league of gentlemen oh reese uh, smith ah pronouncing his name wrong and he's one of my favorite writers yeah um yeah the league of gentlemen steve Pemberton yes. and um Reece, yes yeah. uh th they won the year i was nominated and they did very well mm -hmm. um, but not too many others others got opportunities but arguably we're in the place we are now because a lot of comics didn't really take their chance or weren't ideally suited and uh, you know that I think doing an Edinburgh show is vastly different to doing a telly thing mm. and like we were saying earlier you know just because you've broken through suddenly doesn't mean you're you know you did very well playing the banjo but here's a violin mm. and it's not the same thing and you're going to take you, you might be naturally good at it but you'll probably take a few goes at getting that right as well and tv doesn't have that privilege or you know it won't give you that much rope so um basically i got a load more work and some people knew my name who didn't before but more importantly i believed in myself and that was helpful but even in the 90s, you know, there was not nearly as much on telly, stand-up-wise. There was no, well, very few panel games or uh, there was only the stand-up show. There was no Live at the Apollo or, any, you know, any, all that stuff. Um, and it was still considered very much as a stepping stone to doing something else. It was, you know, to your own sitcom or whatever it was. It, you couldn't go on to be... A guy with a stand-up show a young comic asked me the other day what was it like doing comedy in the 90s <laughs> so unfortunately i was able to tell him um so yeah it was a, a different era but it was it was it was good for me good for me but i keep meeting people who were born afterwards but anyway <laughs> what was i mean were there any other milestones in the lead up to that or since that that you think have either boosted your confidence yeah. or have made your career slightly Go, you know like go up another notch yeah uh yeah there, there was 96 and 2010 really when i did <laughs> yeah. Quite a gap. yes what was i doing in between i was in the desert so, uh, so. yes um yeah 2010 when i just did lots of telly for several reasons and that that pushed me on to a new level and it was because there weren't that many opportunities before but i was just in the right place at the right time and with plenty of jokes in my back catalogue and uh, that all came together I'd like to think that's not the end of it but uh, <laughs> we'll see who knows um, 2024 yeah just the corner. yeah no, hang on a minute. how many years was it in between that so 16 years yeah yeah we'll see we'll see uh, you know you can't plan those sort of things mm. you've just got to be funny in the next gig that's all you can do really and uh, hope that things work out. Whether, I mean, I think sometimes it's a bit like going to the buffet a second time around in that you don't, 
you're not always so interested in the salad you know you're going to go for the the chicken legs or yeah. whatever you know it, and the trifle i know what you mean yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so by the time you get to my age you, you're not so interested in you know a panel game on itv2 yeah it's quite a milton analogy that one yeah i like mm-hmm. it mm. um so yeah, so you, but you said this is the first time you're working with a director. I worked with uh, the director Ed Gorn on the last show I did as well, on the last oh, tour okay. show, and I found it useful. Although it sort of militates against a stand-up's instinct to share any kind of um, creative input. Actually, you know, I'm playing thousand seaters. I need to have a good show. And I think what stand-ups do is they get very good at what they're good at, but they're actually quite weak at what they're bad at. Mm. And it's great to have someone to come in and go, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And some of what I'll do, I'll, I'll try the things he says and they'll get into the show. And other times I go, no, I don't think that will work. And I'll push back against it, but it will give me a clearer identity of what the show is and who I am. Um, so it's a very, thus far, very valuable thing for me to do. Uh, just to, to someone to poke me in a different direction and to have an outside eye because why don't you use the other half of the stage as well or, <laughs> or um, you know it's a bit drab why, why can we have some colour or you know or that what you say there doesn't make any sense so I found it useful um, just having that outside eye even though sometimes you can feel like you have to trust the person who's doing it otherwise mm. there's no point what what would you say you're bad at then? Um, I think I'm the danger of being able to do one-liners is that you can hide behind them, and I'm not very good at. I think in improvisational terms, it's um, offers offering stuff. You know, just going out on a limb that doesn't necessarily lead to a punchline but might mean that someone else can pick it up and get a punchline out of it. Mm. I mean in a panel game type context rather than on stage because, you know, obviously on stage you're very self-contained if you're the only one on it. But in terms of uh, on a team with other people, just being prepared to go in a particular direction and not know the outcome, it's easier to stay hidden behind the things you wrote earlier. Mm. And I'd like to get better at doing that, but... uh, uh, the more reputation you have, the easier, the, the harder it is in a way because you you don't want to be perceived as failing, even you know for ten seconds. Is that but is that failure? Because if you're still selling out and if you're still building that audience and they're still coming back, yeah, is the failure in your head? Because a lot of us can have that little voice that goes, sure, yeah, you're that five seconds that no one loved yeah. when you were setting up a joke yeah, yeah. no one wants to hear that again like yes. is it is it more in your head or do you think that's actually like a thing or again is it because you said like even uh, the, the the five people aren't reviewers yeah. like is it a case of you're having to like put aside those voices and those critical people to go mm. actually I can do this yes and they will wait five seconds <laughs> yeah well quite uh, yes I think if you're prepared to open out to a small team you just get a more balanced view of the whole thing. Mm. And uh, yeah, exactly what you say, you, you come away with the with mm. what you were thinking at the time as being bad, when actually it's totally unrepresentative of the whole thing. And uh, you're more likely to get that put right by um, 
people you trust telling you the truth. And the other way, of course, you know, if you think something was brilliant, <laughs> you go, yeah, but you screwed up the end, or, you know, you, more likely to uh, be the other way around, actually, if you're a performer. But, um, yes, I think it, it is helpful to widen the base, to widen the base. And it is just jokes, after all. That's the thing I <laughs> come back to in the end, you know. At the time, it's really important. And yes, you're walking a tightrope and maybe you won't get to the other end. But when you go home, they only really remember the bit where you called their mate an idiot. <laughs> so you got away with it. How many jokes do you think you write versus how many get in the show? Um, well, that's different to hit rate. Yeah, that's just yeah. how many you would... Sure. Yeah. Um... Well, it depends if you mean jokes that aren't good enough to get in the show. Um, because if the show is on a subject, quite often I've got 50 to 100 jokes that are fine, but just don't fit. Mm. Um, I reckon my hit rate is about, if I go to a new material night, for instance, it's probably uh, out of 15 jokes, I've got three that will work and another five that need work. And the other seven <laughs> put in the bin. But don't throw them away. Mm. Put in the bin and then take them out of the bin one day and see if you can surprise yourself by reordering the words into something that works. Mm. Do you find Twitter and things like that help for cutting down jokes? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't put out stuff I knew that worked. Mm. Quite often I'm on a train between Clapham Junction and Waterloo. <laughs> I go, right something between here and now and I come up with something I'd never have come up with any other way and that's quite helpful you know it may or may not work mm. but uh, it gets my mind moving and it's like it's like a game I'm playing against myself and uh, you know sometimes I come up with things that way so yeah, quite useful what, what's your so like when you started I assume your writing process has changed over time or is it still the same yeah because I had an interview that you've got jokes that you've spent, you know, years that you're still working on yeah. or you're trying to work through yeah. or, or you still see there's something in it, but you don't know what it is. Yes. So I presume either that's because your writing process just hasn't changed and it's, you know, not come mm. up and not gone through a different loop, if you like. Yeah. Or whether it's changed and it's now, is that still funny? Or do I get it? I like to think my hit rate is better than it was. It's still by no means, you know, more good than bad. <laughs> but... Um, I think I've got a better instinct for what will work and also uh, doing bigger shows I can see that sometimes that's a sketch idea not a one-liner idea and so I'll put it into my sketch file that probably end up in a radio show mm. and I think I'm better at deciding between the two um, I also quite often do a new material night but leave two pieces of paper blank until I get there and there's something about the crowd being in the room and and uh, having to fill those bits of paper. And usually they don't work. But sometimes I'll come up with something that's just not a formula. It's just a, a thought. And it may not end up like that in the show, but it's just something that was born of adrenaline rather than intellectual dissection. Mm. And that has its own sort of value. Um 
when I started doing telly, I had to treble my output. So I do a lot more new material nights now. And I'm far more in the way of churning stuff out. Um, whereas when I used to do clubs, I used to always have three things ready to go if it was appropriate. And probably every other gig it wasn't because you might lose them if you tried out new stuff. So yeah, I've just had to write a lot more. And yeah, I think I've got better at doing it. Um, but I'm still amazed how bad sometimes it is. I think this is the best joke ever and it's still not. Surely doing something on TV versus doing something live, like if you come and practice it out, I mean, there's no other way of practicing it really because they, they do apparently do those audition days of like panel mm. shows. Yeah. But I suppose you won't want to use your gold on those because, but yeah. then you do because you want to get yeah, through. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you play those? Uh, I haven't done one for a long time, thank goodness. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. It is very tricky because um, I remember we used to do ad, um, auditions for adverts even, mm. and they'd say, "Oh, just improvise something," <laughs> and you'd improvise. Then that was lovely, thank you. And then you'd see something like what you'd improvised in the actual ad, but it wasn't you. Oh. And you go, "Hang on, mm, I want no proof of anything." Yeah, but it's almost a risk you have to take. Mm. Uh, frustrating um, but illegal illegal it? yeah but mm. how do you prove it that's the thing because mm. they just know we we had that idea before mm. well that's the end of that do you ever have that with jokes like oh you? yeah yeah plagiarism that well that was when i was in the mid 90s just getting going really before 96 someone shouted plagiarism at me in a club and I said what i was only on the edge of knowing what the word meant let alone I said, uh, Joe Pasquale did a load of those jokes last night <laughs> on telly. I mean, it wasn't just me, you know, the, the sort of who's who in the circuit mm. um, karaoke thing. But And uh, then I used to have a gag um, when the boys in the playground found out that I had a potentially fatal allergy to peanuts. They used to sh shove me up against the wall and play Russian roulette with a bag of revels. It doesn't really work now because they don't do the peanut one. Uh, Revels came out with an ad based on the deer hunter playing Russian roulette. Someone did an article in The Guardian about it and uh, asked for my comment. But there was nothing you could do. Just it was one of those things. And there are plenty of, uh, you know, it's, uh, the latest thing was the, it's not the same, but uh, the Britain's Got Talent, you know, the Timkins Review thing. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating if you're on the end of it, especially if you're less well known. I think once you get to a certain stage, people go, oh, he's, he's copied your thing. But if no one's heard of you, you're always assumed to be the, the guy who's whining public don't care i've always said i don't want to be famous but i just want to be well known enough that my uh criticisms are taken constructively and not as jaded comments yeah 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 yeah. because i find at my level if i do say something negative mm. against someone else or, or i have yeah. something to say they go yeah but you just didn't get that yeah, and it's yeah. like well yeah but i actually have an opinion as well yeah i don't i don't see why it should be invalid just because yes. i didn't get the opportunity yeah it's not easy it's not easy because it is infuriating i assume you would be able to ring up a comedian or be able to get hold of them if, if you'd been told they'd stolen something. But is it worth mm. even... Well, it depends who and when. I mean, if it's someone I know, it's probably a mistake. Or they've come up with exactly the same thing. Like another one-liner person. Yeah, because yeah. I know Stuart Lee, uh, Stuart Francis. <laughs> I know Stuart Lee. But Stuart Francis, Tim Vine, I know Gary a bit. But I know them quite well. Mm. And inevitably, we will come up with similar things. Yeah. Inevitably. And I'm always... 
I enjoy their shows, but there's part of me going, I'm going to see something that's going to be a bit like something of mine, and I, do I really want to know that? But then there are people who are notorious for it, and you kind of know it's coming, and you might call them out on it, and they either go, it doesn't matter, or, um, or they'll, say, they'll be in denial that, no, they thought of that as well. But usually if you look at the set of a, someone who steals jokes, big joke, big joke, big joke, clunk, and the clunk is the one they wrote themselves. Mm. Whereas it, the rest of it all belongs to someone else. But we know who those people are within the business. There are a few who've been successful, um, but we still know who they are. So, <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that's the, a thing in any industry, isn't it? The, the admiration of your peers is something that's almost bigger than the admiration of the general public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is... Uh, led to some dubious um, television decisions. <laughs> but anyway. Mm. Do, do you find if you're on the same... Because I used to do... So if I was doing one-liners, or when I was, way back when I started, I would try and go on early in a lot of gigs because I worried that I was covering so many different subjects. Yeah. I didn't want to, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> to have to not do a joke. Yeah, I sort of know what you mean. But, but also I think it's quite hard for one-liners to start, to be at the top of... or to MC. Oh, okay. Yeah, to open a gig. Yeah. Okay. You need a certain amount of warmth in the room or, or just prepared to go with jokes. And, uh, I mean, a middle spot is what you want, probably. Because <laughs> I think it's quite hard to close as well. Mm. If someone's you know, done a lot of shouting and swearing, come on and here's some, here's some clever words I wrote. There's, mm, good luck with that. So... Do you find the warmth then comes out in your tour show or do you have a support act to stop that from uh, happening? I do, what, I do 15 minutes at the top as a character and uh, the character this time is going to be me dressed as Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep, lots of geography and Brexit jokes, <laughs> I think. Um, just a little, little um, door in the middle oh, yeah. in the Peak District. Nice, nice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then I've got Chris Stokes doing 25 minutes after that. Oh, yeah. Then interval, then me for an hour and whatever mm. in a second. So uh, I've, that's how I don't do my tour shows. I quite like going on first and do 15 minutes. So it says, hey, I'm here, this is a show, and it allows me to do something different as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I get kids and families, and you know, it's quite a pantomime sort of crowd. Mm. Uh, I quite like that because of what I've a lot of Radio 4, which the average age is 84, mm. and uh, more of the week it's sort of the other end. Mm. So there's a real mixture of, and it just looks an odd audience, you know, it looks mm. like a, a school's event or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, these are the last quick fire questions. Yep. So quick fire for me, take as long as you like, but there's only a few of them, so it'll be fine. Um, what are the best books on stand-up or writing that you've ever read? Oh, um, I understand. Now, I've never read the Steve Martin one, but I've heard that's good. Um, Born Standing Up, that one. Yes. Mm. Now, I'm sort of, I stay away from stand up books. It feels like a busman's holiday. Okay. Um, and I hear the Frank Skinner one's very good as well. Mm. Um, I read Conversations with an Agent. You, okay. Yeah, no, that, that. That, which isn't stand up, but it's. We've all been there and, it, you know, agent talk. Mm. Um, everyone's very excited etc uh, other stand up books I don't think I've read many I, you know when I stop work I don't really want to read about it um, 
It's fair enough. Yeah. Um, who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry? Uh, well, there are several. And of my generation, because I feel more, I would say Terry Alderton, Simon Munnery. I think Ben Norris is quite underrated as well. I don't think he's been stretched, but I think he is quite underrated. Um, and Adam Bloom. Mm, uh, yeah. Good call. Um, if you could go back to your past self before your first gig and give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? Um, be patient. Sort of a boring thing to tell anyone, but in fact, I could be very impatient if someone told me that. Um, but just it's a it's a long game loads of funny people gave up who were really funny and quite a few people who weren't that funny became funny so take a long run up and be patient I would normally ask what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given but would it be the same thing uh, whether I've been given I think probably and I can't remember who said it um, and it was with regard to doing telly bits and pieces do what you do don't try and do what the other guy you know first time I did Mock the Week I tried to do a David Mitchell rant pointless because I don't do that and it's not going to be good and the reason you're booked to some extent is to do what you do so for goodness sake just do what you do don't just because you've changed medium suddenly become someone else <laughs> um, you'll only be able to do what you do all right well thank you very much for coming on pleasure that was Milton I've I've met him a half a dozen times in the last couple of years and every time he's been he's just so honest and what I've learned actually and this is slightly off topic from the podcast but from a lot of personal events that have happened to me in the last two months I've learned that someone can only be as honest with you as they are with themselves doesn't mean they will be as honest with you as they are with themselves but that's the limit of honesty you can get from someone and I feel like Milton is someone who knows himself very well and knows his capabilities but also knows what he's doing and like is able to articulate that very well and as a result is able to answer questions very honestly and very openly even down to talking about how some of his material isn't good enough for club sets and is good enough for tours and it, it I just felt like he's so aware of the business side but also aware of himself and I think that's a really key trait of most comedians that I know who are full-time and do this as a proper job career thing so I decided to take a minute and thank him for taking part and for being so honest about that if you enjoyed this please do give him a tweet and say thank you very much for taking part and at me in it as well so I can say thank you for doing that because that really helps out and it helps so that future guests know people are listening and that we have a community around this that means that people actually want to talk about what we're talking about here and, and talk about the subjects and, and the themes so that would really help I, I, something else i really liked was like his his reflections on being different in his early stages of his career and not being gimmicky and our chats about quotas and his lack of belief in himself before winning the newcomer award so i'm thinking about trying to get the latest newcomer on and talking about how that's immediately impacted them and maybe then having a follow-up in a year I, I don't know i'm just thinking about what would be good would you like to hear that would that be fun let me know what you're thinking also his take on imposter syndrome was really interesting i'm i'm, I'm just about to finish editing uh, an amazing episode of the podcast to do with someone who really suffered with imposter syndrome and I can't wait to put that out but to hear Milton's take on it was really interesting as well so yeah I think most performers deal with that from time to time and it's and it's pretty important to discuss that because I think if you don't you can run the risk of performers not realizing that we're all feeling like that from time to time and it's perfectly normal and it's perfectly natural and it doesn't mean you're shit it just means that you're human and that is not a bad thing at all if you enjoyed this please do join 
join up to the Facebook group so I can tell you when new guests are coming on and you can tell me if you like it and you want more in this kind of vein. I can't promise anything, but if you suggest a guest and I can get them on and I think they'll make a good episode, I definitely will. So please do. Finally, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, myself and Milton are going on tour. That doesn't mean we're going on tour together. That means we both have tours that are running in tandem, but separate to each other. Milton is doing a mammoth 100 tour dates, which is insane. Like, it's an amazing achievement for any performer. And uh, as a result, he should be in a town somewhere near you. I'm doing a much smaller, but no less respectable, 35 tour dates. Although, by the time this goes live, hopefully it'll be 40. Milton's show is called Milton Jones is Out There. Mine is called Laughter is the Best Placebo. Both of them have been honed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm doing a load of dates in Ireland for the first time in Cardiff, and I'm really excited about those. So please do come down if you can. Milton is doing a much bigger tour than me, but he has much higher profiling than me. So uh, if you want to find out about him, I won't list off all the cities that he's doing. But if you click the link in the show notes, then you'll be able to see exactly where he's going to be in relation to where you exist or work. So please do check that out and support him and support me i'm loving meeting people off the podcast so if you do come down please take a minute and say hi and you know just talk to me it'd be really nice otherwise the download figures are kind of just meaningless numbers so it really really means a lot when someone takes the effort to come and say hi and tell me that they like it or tell me they heard an episode and came down because of it just it just validates my work slightly and it also it's just a really nice thing that happens so please do that if you do come down as a result of this if you're new here please do hit the subscribe button if you're old here please do consider giving us an honest review in itunes and either way i'll see you in about 15 days time or sooner if you come and see me on tour thanks for listening bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.